Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Thank you, musicians, Jeffrey and Dr. Riegert and Zach and Tamara. It is uh, one of my favorite services. Actually, it was, it was Tamara's really good idea. We, we just couldn't stand the thoughts of just canceling our Wednesday night service, nor could it be completely online. There's just something about it. It's, it's more tangible than that. And so she had the really good idea to go ahead and move everything to... Um, Sunday, and God said it was okay, so we just moved everything to Sunday. And so we are a little bit into the season of Lent, 40 days, the season of Lent, excluding Sundays. 40 days, which is supposed to be reminiscent of the wandering of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. Also, and maybe more importantly, reminiscent of the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness, 40 days. And our tradition tells us that Lent is a time of preparation for baptism. So it would go like this most of the time. This season of Lent, the baptismal candidates would go through this very heavy catechism, this very heavy educational experience, so that on Easter Sunday morning there could be this miraculous and and celebratory baptismal moment, moment Over a period of time, though, it turns out that in order for that particular baptismal candidate to be welcomed into the community, the entire community understood that they also had an obligation to get ready, to get ready. And so the entire Christian community would acknowledge this season of Lent in preparation for baptism. By the way, if you have not yet been baptized, we can do that still. And maybe for you, this year. The season of Lent will be a 40-day journey. And over the course of this 40-day journey, you will be reminded time and again, as painful as it might be, that sometimes you're the problem. Sometimes I'm the problem. We'll also be reminded that there is grace for those of us who recognize at a given moment that we're the problem. (laughs) And in the process of admission, acknowledgement, confession, and then repentance, forgiveness, we are being, we may not know it, but we are being shaped for mission. We're being shaped for resurrection life and lifestyle and posture. We have uh, determined that we would call this series The Death of Me, The Death of Me. This is an image by Scott Erickson, someone that we believe will become a friend uh, to our congregation. We have reached out and been in conversation with him. He is an artist. This is what he does for a living. And he made this image available to us for the entirety of our Linton series. And so you're going to see it a lot. But I, I like what it says because it very definitely says death, coffin. It also says that there's something after it, tree. And I want to say to you as clearly and as plainly as I know how, your death is required in order for there to be new life. In order for there to be new life, hear me again, your death is required. 
And it seems to be quite the theme in Scripture. I mean, I'm going to walk you through a few Scriptures that will say the same things over and over again. Let the same, this is Philippians 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, the same mind that was in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Remember, have the same mind. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let the same mind be in you. Luke 9, Jesus says right out loud, if any of you want to become my followers, let him, let her deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Cross, death. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. John 12 Jesus again, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I mean, history records that one of the best things you can ever do to spread the kingdom like wildfire is to kill somebody who understands himself or herself to be a Christian. Martyrdom has done more to spread the word spread the kingdom than perhaps anything else in history. And that's not just a yesterday, yesteryear sort of thing. There are still places in the world where people are physically damaged, harmed, and killed because they are Christian. Now, living as we do at the belt buckle of the Bible belt, more often than not, your Christianity is not going to cost you your life, except that it, it will. And, and here's what I mean. And maybe Paul can help us here when he uses the language of living sacrifices. I urge you, he says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship, reasonable service. This is what it means to be us, is that we would, in some sense, die. And then trust God to raise us back to life. But what does it look like? 2021, what does it look like to die? What does the Lenten season want from me? As I mentioned earlier, Lent is meant to remind us of the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness preparing for his ministry by facing the temptations that could lead him to abandon his mission and calling. If not for the weather that forced this change upon our schedule, I'd be preaching to you today from Mark chapter 1, which records the baptism of Christ, but also the temptations of Christ. Do you remember those temptations? It was the temptations to turn stones into bread is a temptation, having taken Jesus to the highest point of the temple, the temptation to jump off just to see and to demonstrate and to prove that God would save him. It was a temptation to bow down and worship this tempter in order to gain all of the kingdoms of the world. But here's what you may not know about those very same temptations. As it turns out, Jesus, during these 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, is himself reenacting the 40-year wander through the wilderness embodied by the people of Israel. And each one of these temptations meant to distract God's people and then God's man were designed to tempt away from the mission, away from the life given over to the lordship 
and leadership of God who calls us to embody, who calls us to embody at work, y'all, at home, y'all, embody divine love and grace, redemption, restoration, and service to God and everybody else. So like the Israelites before him who'd passed through the waters of liberation, Jesus, recently baptized himself, was hungry. Israel buckled to their own hunger. Jesus did not. Israel's hunger dictated their loyalty to the calling. Not the case for Jesus. Like the Israelites before him, Jesus was concerned for his safety, but Jesus never put his God to the test. Like the Israelites before him, Jesus was tempted to gather power and authority by turning aside from the mission and the God who called him. But unlike rebellious Israel, Jesus said no. In other words, even before dying on the cross, Jesus surrendered his life to God and to the call of God and to the character and the trustworthiness of God and the purposes of God and the mission of God, Jesus was a living sacrifice prior to being a dying sacrifice. So, let's be like Jesus, you and I. We'll be better off as believers, and trust me, your family members, your co-workers will be better off. Your enemies, your opposites, your irritants will be better off if you and I will just finally die in the right sorts of ways. But hear me, it's a chore. <laughs> Dying to self is tricky. Like I've already said, it's not that we don't or shouldn't care for ourselves. It's not that we don't or shouldn't respect ourselves and our bodies. It's not that we aren't worthy of care or kindness or love. It's, it's none of that. But it is this. It is that you and I should work to rediscover this ultimate truth. Rediscover it. That the God who loves us and calls us is in fact trustworthy. And that this God is a better source for our own care and kindness and love than we could ever be for ourselves. So during Lent, we ask ourselves several difficult questions. One of them is this, you ready? Am I trusting myself or perhaps someone else for the care and the kindness and the love that really can only come from God? Do I really trust that God cares for me and calls me into this grace? Or am I looking for love in all the wrong places, chiefly in myself? And I know this is very difficult. The idolatry and religion of me is ever-present, and it is silent, and it is subtle. It moves without notice, and it comes disguised so often as something that would otherwise be good. Friend of the conversation, fr friend of the congregation, friend of Ron Wright, a guy that I've shared a pepperoni and olive pizza with, and I don't even like olives. Richard Beck has this incredible book called The Slavery of Death. And I'm telling you, I don't know that there's a better book for a person to read during the season of Lent than this one, than this one. To dramatically oversimplify the gist of the book, Dr. Beck, who is a professor of psychology at Abilene Christian, but also who happens to have a Master of Divinity degree, says this about cultural heroism. 
He says that the fear of death causes us to sin. The fear of death causes us to be self-concerned, self-oriented, self-invested, self-centered. The fear of death is addressed by our culture then, a culture like ours in very specific, heroic, in quotes, reputation-building sorts of ways, in ways that now seem hardwired to us. We manage our fear of death by, quoting now, carving out a place in nature, by building an edifice that reflects human value, a temple, a cathedral, a totem pole, a skyscraper, a family that spans three generations. The hope and belief is that the things we create in society are of lasting worth and meaning, that they outlive or outshine death and decay. So the culture, having established the definitions of lasting success, the culture now holds great power over anyone and everyone who fears death. That would include me, by the way. Who fears meaningless, forgottenness, and all who forget to look to God then for meaning, purpose, calling, care. Quoting from Beck again. This means that our slavery to the fear of death is insidious and hard to eradicate. It's difficult to simply opt out because the problem is too pervasive and goes too deep. Radical measures are necessary. This predicament gives us a glimpse into why the biblical authors speak of conversion and discipleship as a death. Our identities are too saturated with death to be rehabilitated as they stand. Consequently, in order to fully and completely confront our slavery to the fear of death, we must die to our entire identity as it is currently configured. Moreover, we must die to the overarching cultural hero system, the way everyone around us makes meaning and defines success and significance. Are you feeling this yet? I'm still haunted by the bumper sticker. I don't see it nearly as often now, but I do see it periodically, and you, you've, you all have seen it too. The one who dies with the most toys wins. That is deathly. That is deathly. Beck, this is a terrifying prospect This death is a renunciation on a grand scale where the old man, a death-saturated identity producing sinful attitudes and behaviors, is buried, perhaps even in baptism, so that a new creation, here Paul here, an identity rooted in Christ, can be raised to take its place. Do you now have a better, greater, deeper appreciation for the movements of the baptismal liturgy? Plunging somebody into the water is supposed to remind us of the death that Christ died that we now jump into and participate in. Ourselves dying, being lifted out of the water is reminiscent of. We're supposed to remember then and participate in the resurrection life enjoyed by Jesus and now enjoyed by those of us who want to be identified as the body of Christ. Is it possible that this is what Jesus is talking about in the verses DeCarla read at the end of our text? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume 
where thieves break in and steal? Yes, I think he's talking there about toys. I do. He's also talking about the attaboys and attagirls that we get from a culture deeply, deeply indoctrinated into this hero worship. You, you do know, right, that your, culture, your reputation, good as it might be, is only one terrible post away from being gone. And it might not even be a post that you make. You do recognize, right, that it is a losing proposition to try to score points, as it were, with all the other people in the culture so that you can finally have your place in it. Because moth, rust, Facebook. How is it that you finally get to the place where you feel okay about you? If the answer is anything other than, and there are lots of things, and for me as well, if the answer is, I find my ultimate sense of worth in work, in whatever, anything other than your ultimate sense of worth, anything other than the grace of God that chooses you before you chose God, well, then you've got your finger on something that has to die. And keep in mind, the passages confronting us today, I loved hearing my favorite passage, Isaiah 58 in Spanish, thank you, Pastor. The passages confronting us today are meant specifically for religious, believing, good Nazarenes. <laughs> People who, it is assumed, are already giving and praying and fasting. But these same passages assume also that we religious types must always be on our guard or else the fear of death, death kind of seeps in and cultural hero, heroism sleeps in and will in effect and infect the way that we go about faith. If we're not careful, God becomes an afterthought while we are busy storing up treasures on earth, treasures like reputation, name, legacy, popularity, all of which are fleeting and passing. Is that where your treasure is? In your public-facing resume? In what somebody else thinks about you and what the company says about you and how the company regards you and how other members of your family regard you? Is, is that where your treasure is? Do you sense somewhere deep within you that you desperately need the applause or the approval of those who may or may not even be watching? In other words, are we doing these things, showing up, giving, praying, fasting because we love God or because we love ourselves? Fearing that if we don't look after our own resumes, who will? Let's be clear. Today, we are not pitting private faith against public faith, internal faith against external faith. In the chapter before this one, Matthew chapter 5, we, the church, are encouraged to let our light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. This is about motivation, everyone. What is motivating your religious movements? 
Are we living in grateful response to unbelievable love and grace and testifying to the love, to that love as we give, pray, and fast? Or are we living trying to keep up or catch up? Perhaps in the eyes of others, maybe even in the eyes of God, finally, to Matthew chapter 6. And so Jesus says, beware of practicing your piety. And by the way, that means covenantal behavior, the way that I live or you live because we belong to a people who belong to God. So beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, please don't get hung up on the literal here. It is actually physiologically not possible for you to be at the point where your left hand doesn't know where your right hand is doing, but this is speaking deeply, deeply about motivation. Why do you give? I choose not to know who gives what. I don't know who gives what. I don't want that to be a part of the calculus for those who give nothing and for those who give everything. What needs to be a part of the calculus is this. Do you understand God as the God of abundance or not? And are you giving in grateful response to the God whose mind is already made up about you or not? Giving doesn't change God's mind about you. It has always been the case that the most consistent and fulfilled givers are those who aren't angling for anything in return. The best giving is motivated by love. Giving ends up being the logical and loving testimonial response to love received. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay. This is not about not praying publicly if you're up here. (laughs) This has more to do with the praying that you do, perhaps outside of this space. We practice public prayers each and every week around here. The Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, is coming next in the chapter, is honored and effective and said out loud around here. This has less to do with our gathered liturgy and much, much more to do with your, with my conversational connection with God. It has always been the case that the most consistent and fulfilled people who pray are those who aren't angling for resume points from others or from God. The best praying is motivated by love. Praying ends up being the logical and loving testimonial response to love received. And whenever you fast, Do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. See, look at me. I'm miserable because I'm fasting. I'm very spiritual. (laughs) 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It has always been the case that the best, most consistent, and fulfilled people who fast are those who aren't angling for anything in return from others or from God. The best fasting is motivated by love. Fasting ends up being the logical and loving testimony response to love received. Fasting rehearses that we are led by God's desires and calling, not our own. Fasting practices the reality that we belong to God more than we belong to ourselves. Fasting is a way to expose what I'm relying on when I could and should be relying on God. And so Jason has helped us for every week during Lent. Maybe you have chosen something to fast. I have heard a lot of people say this year, I'm giving up Lent for Lent. It's been a tough year, John. (laughs) I'm giving up Lent for Lent. I understand. I understand. I hope that you'll think through, though, what you're saying there. And I hope that you'll find some energy to do something. And Jason has given us some, some weekly exercises, maybe a weekly fast. For example, this week, given our, our scripture, which should have been Mark 1, 9 to 15, and that is the baptism, the wilderness wanderings, and the temptations of Christ, Jason says this, won't you choose one lunch or dinner this week to fast? Just one. And during that time, when you would be eating, take time to stop and pray for the duration of the time that it would normally take to eat, just one meal, one meal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also people Again, the chapter before, the Beatitudes only make sense when we understand them this way. Blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit, that doesn't make any sense. Blessed are those who mourn, that doesn't make any sense. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the persecuted. It only makes sense if I understand my life as a gift, if I understand that God gives me all the definitions I need. If I finally turn my back and perhaps even die to the ways the world tells me I ought to live what success ought to look like. In practicing our religious practices, we aren't performing for anybody else, but we are orienting and turning to God. And it's not so much performance then as it is an exploration of relationship with God, our exploring the contours of God's face. When done honestly, these things are done because one loves God, because one is loved by God, or perhaps because one hopes to at some point love God or become more aware of God's love. And then, church, when we are a community of people who understand themselves to be taken and blessed by God, broken places and all, that's when we can be given for the sake of the world, taken, blessed, broken, given. The question for Lent is this, what keeps you from being given? What keeps me from being 
given? What keeps us from being given to our city? I love this. Love this. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, people of God. You all shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Our work in our city, in our denomination, in our pews here is most effective when these same pews are populated by workers and servants who have died to self or in the process of dying to self and are serving in grateful response to the God who loves us. If you need to see an embodiment of this, just an example of what it might look like, look at the healthcare workers who are regularly facing their own damage and even death by giving life. We are moving toward our liturgy, but I want to walk it through right quick. In Genesis 3, God seems angry with Adam for having taken and wasted the gift of life, says this to him, remember you are dust, it's in Genesis 3, 19, and to dust you will return. This deep recognition God wants to impress upon Adam, listen man, you have given yourself to the wrong eternity, you've given yourself to the wrong emphasis You've given yourself away when you could belong to me. This will be the first line that you and I will rehearse here in a second. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. That left to itself. If that was the end of the story, that is a pretty dark day, right? The Bible does not end with Genesis 3 and all God's people said. The second line goes like this. Repent and believe the good news, because the good news is, if the bad news is, you can't save yourself, the good news is the God who can is right there waiting. Is right there waiting. So, with that first line, we are absolutely leaning into the fear of death that Beck talked about earlier. And all the temptations that so often come with it With the second line, we are leaning into the God who loves us and makes us and can remake us. Or as the song says that you will hear later today, you, God, can make beautiful things out of dust. Here it comes. I'm asking a lot of you today. I'm asking you to at least take the first step in the process whereby you would finally Let go of your own life. You would ease the grip that you have on your own life. Take the first step in leaving the cultural hero rat race. Lean into grace that has already chosen you. Hear hear this. You are, I am, we are guilty. It's one of the themes of the season of Lent. More importantly, God is good. I hope that on your way in, you got a couple of things. If you are on the sides, and Dr. Regan, if you can go ahead and come on up. Um, If you need 
some communion elements, would you please raise your hand? There are also these little buttons. <laughs> this is where we're going to go about the imposition of ashes today. Contactless Ash Wednesday. By the way, I don't have any interest in this being a new tradition. This is just what we're doing. This is a concession today. We're going to get back to everything that we have done. If you need either one of these, please raise your hand, and there are people who are ready to help you around the, okay, we have some back there. In the overflows, we have some needs back there. So here's how things will go, folks. We're going to go through our liturgy and take communion together. And then we will go through a short liturgy that has to do with the imposition of ashes. All at once, rather than coming to the center and having a pastor say something to you, that's better. That's better. All of us coming to the center, walking up, gazing at the cross, having a pastor say something to me, to you. That's the best way. We don't want to risk it this year. And so we'll have that liturgy all together at the same time. And then after that, as Zach has already said, perhaps you need to find a place to pray. Now, Lisa Sanders is going to go to her office after the ash ceremony. Dr. Tashin is already ready. And Kristen is going to go out into the atrium. If you want to pray with somebody out in the atrium, Kristen will be there. In the Zoom call, it will be Lisa and Dr. Tashjian. If you need to pray with somebody, we're ready for that. As is our tradition around here with Ash Wednesday, there really won't be a benediction. After we do communion and after we have the imposition of ashes in the form of the button today, you can just stay and sit and listen to Zach and Tamara sing us through long moments of reflection because it's going to take some work, you all, for me and for you to come face to face with our culpability, our brokenness, our guilt, our need for grace. Heavenly Father, bless these elements now. Bless this bread and this cup and with these elements, God, grow us in our understanding of our need for your grace. Grow us in our understanding of our own brokenness. Grow us, God, toward the kind of courage that we need to ask for help, to ask for help from you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it remember me so now church if you would take and break and eat in the same way later he would take the cup hold it up before them and say this is my blood the blood of a new covenant shed for you and every time you drink of it including ash sunday february 21st 2021 remember me remember grace now if you would take and drink and now you'll feel move us 
mark to the liturgy. This is not the same. I understand that. This and the little screen background that Zach walked us through earlier, it's not the same as having the ashes on your forehead. In, in some ways, this will be a more permanent reminder throughout Lent because my phone screen is going to be that way for the duration of Lent. And this is going on my ever-present briefcase because I'll need the reminder that I always need the grace. You ready? Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. So let us all repent and receive the good news. Thanks be to God. And now, Father, receive us. Broken places and all. Draw us to prayer. Draw us to you. Help us, God, to recognize when it is that we have given in to the cultural hero system, this competitor theology, this competitor idolatry. Remind us, God, that we find our best definitions of success from you, in you, along with you. Now, God, as we consider our own culpability, God, as we do the unthinkable and consider how it is that we are wrong and broken and guilty and in need of help, draw us to your side. Draw us into rooms where people who love us can pray for us. Draw us into conversation with you. Draw us into this journey whereby we can be forgiven, restored. You are welcome to leave any time you want, but I would encourage you to stay at least a little while because the God who whispers sometimes whispers through song. So if you're not going to go pray, if you need to, please go and go pray. But if you have time and the energy for it, I hope that you will stay and listen to a few of these whispers from God through song. There will not be a benediction. You are welcome to leave whenever you want to or need to leave.
Breathe you in and lean into your love. 
pursue me lift my head to see your glory lord of all so beautiful here in you i find shelter captivated by the splendor of your face my secret place i'm wide awake drawing closer by grace and all my heart is yours all fear removed i breathe you in lean into Your love so deep is washing over me. Your face is all I see. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry to know you all my life. Love so deep is washing over me your face is all i see you are my everything jesus christ you are my one desire lord hear my only cry to know you all my life i'm wide awake drawing by grace and all my heart is yours all fear removed I breathe you in and lean into your love oh your my 
Ah. Uh. 